0: welcome to the 13th hour podcast this is your host Joshua Blum episode number 373 and I am holding before me two books we've been reading the book dragonfall for the last uh, couple weeks we're uh, getting close to finishing it so that we take a look at that one um, because we got some other stuff that's uh, stuff a couple uh, episodes and stuff like that that are already recorded that um, are gonna be coming out that I've been waiting until we finish uh, Dragonfall 4 so But I'm also holding another one, and this is called The Warlock of Firetop Mountain by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingstone. It is from 1982. This is a series of books called a Fighting Fantasy Game Book, in which you become the hero. I remember these books. Uh, This is one of many kinds of books. It's kind of like Choose Your Own Adventure, Dungeons & Dragons, Endless Quest-style books where you are essentially... Narrating the story, you have some choices to make, but it's essentially a game book. It's essentially like a like a self-contained D kind of adventure for one person. And so what I thought we would do is actually read the introduction to it. I am in the mo so just as a backstory, last night at the time of this recording, I actually had our first thirteenth hour D session. And it was a lot of fun. I didn't think I would be saying this, but I, I really did. I really enjoyed it uh, doing it. Um, I never really thought I would get into this sort of thing, but that's mostly because it seemed kind of impenetrable, very kind of confusing. It just seemed like way too detailed to kind of get into. So, but I, I found an entry point, and that ten, that I guess it turned out to be creating uh, creating sort of my own system. And that's what I ended up doing. So um, if you're on the Patreon, this is already old news to you. But uh, for the folks that are um, wondering what I'm talking about, Dungeons & Dragons is a role-playing game, which I had no clue what that meant really when I was, uh, when I was a kid. Even though those words were used a lot in the 80s, uh, RPGs and role-playing games. And this was before a lot of the wave of, of games came from like Japan and other parts of Asia in video game form. Um, these are played on a table and the role is you take a role uh, meaning like you're like an actor and you play a role and you become character for the purposes of this game and you make choices and you have to deal with the consequences and uh, you go on an adventure essentially adventure of the mind essentially now there are some things that can help you with it pen paper uh, sometimes little miniatures or um, sometimes people can make very elaborate sort of sets you know I guess the equivalent of like a model train set, but for fa- uh, in a fantasy setting. Now, it doesn't have to be a fantasy setting. It can be any setting you want. It could be in day-to-day life, I guess. One of the ones that I had gotten, I I, I really liked uh, and, and still really like um, the cartoon Robotech from the 80s in the in the U.S., um, compilation of three Japanese uh, non-connected series. And then they um, sort of Frankensteined it into Robotech. But anyway, uh, there was a game book that I remember seeing at some point in probably an ad for a magazine or something like that. I didn't know what it was. There were very few Robotech things I could find at the time. And I saw this game book and I thought, is this like a video game? What exactly is this? It was for a Robotech role-playing game. I remember finding it at some point. This is probably when I was a little bit older because I probably would have had to order this thing or go to a place where I could find it. I imagine that probably wouldn't have been a comic book store or something like that, meaning I probably had access to money, meaning that I probably was at least in college or maybe even after. But anyway, I got one of these things and I looked at it and it was like, oh, it's interesting, but it's really, really dense. There were cool illustrations. There were cool diagrams. There were all these numbers like. You know pluses and minuses and hit point damage and da- I was like what what is it talking about? Because there was no game I didn't understand like what where where's the game? There was no board you pulled out no little figures you cut out no nothing it was um it was something that you would play with other people and I didn't understand that at the time but you would play it in uh, by having somebody narrate the story to you and you take on a role of a character like you'd be one of the Robotech pilots for example or something like that. And so the book was partly inspiration. It would give you a backstory and it would allow you to kind of get into the world. You know, it will give you all these details about the different ships and the weapons and what the robots did. But a lot of it was really up to you as the as the player to come up with that stuff yourself. So the book was really just a source material kind of thing. But anyway... Last night we did one based on the Thirteenth Hour, Thirteenth uh, Hour World, and uh, the novella Empty Hands is um, is sort of draws most from, which is basically nestled in Chapter Nine of the Thirteenth Hour, the main novel, where the main character Logan is undergoing his uh, training uh, as a uh, Imperial Ranger, and he has seven other teammates basically who are also training with him. It's just a one, basically a, a small segment of the book. But and then the the Rangers um don't feature much in the rest of the book. It's really Logan's story, so uh, but I thought that there were enough there was enough there that I wanted to um, do more with it, and I had had other things, other ideas that did not make it into the book just for just so I could keep it at a reasonable length. There was plenty of other stuff, and so I ended up writing another separate novella called Empty Hands that's all about it's not a prequel uh, it's just it's just happening at the same time. Uh, as the 13th Hour, and it's uh, featuring the same characters, Logan and the other Rangers. It is still told from Logan's perspective, but the seven other Rangers get a lot more characterization and their training gets a lot more characterization. It was influenced by my own martial arts training and martial arts movies and, you know, things like that. Uh, so it's a slightly different focus, but it is a fantasy world still. Uh, but the focus is really um, the, I guess would say the martial arts side of things. And that's what became uh, the, the this this game essentially so the idea is that you know you play as an imperial ranger you're going on a training mission with um, some other uh, companions you know your your uh, your teammates and your the idea is to basically work together to achieve a particular goal so we did one of those last night um, we got a chance to test out a couple of the different things that um, uh, I had been experimenting with just interactive storytelling, the combat system, and so forth, but I am really curious we we talked about afterwards you know some some ways that we may be able to tweak the current system I have because it is a fairly stripped down version of d and d it's not actually technically d and d it's based on a system called quest and then modified further from that so it's it's sort of a um i guess you would call a homebrew kind of system, but I think they're with an emphasis on storytelling. Uh, which is essentially the what these games, uh, game books, essentially excel at. So I wanted to read one of these just to see how they do it, and I thought it'd be interesting just to talk about it here. This one, actually, this this particular book came up in the uh, interview, which is going to be coming in a couple of weeks for the folks on the Patreon and then also um, subsequently for general listeners uh, with Ollie Campbell, or Billy Campbell, uh, the, uh, the Rocketeer. We talked about Choose Your own Adventure stuff, and... Um, uh, if you're a Patreon member, um, you'll see like the little um, rock, choose your own adventure kind of thing I wrote for the for the video game that I'm working on, and uh, that ended up being a little segment that we did when we when we uh, had the conversation, and he had brought up this particular book that he had with him, The World of Firetop Mountain, and uh, I have not read this one in particular though I had many of these. I'm gonna have to go and see if I can find them again. Uh, they're they're. They're, unfortunately, they're not necessarily the easiest things to find. A lot of them did get reprinted, but the original covers are out of print, and uh some of them are just never really made it uh, back into print and go for exorbitant prices on eBay. I did manage to get a copy of this one for at least a reasonable price um and this was representative of a lot of the books like this at the time. the school library that I went to when I was up until like, I think fourth or f- fourth grade fifth grade. Um, before we moved, had a ton of these. They had a whole selection. I can still picture it. The chooser your own adventure ones. They had one called Time Machine. They had these ones, I think. they had, I mean, they just a whole slew of them. So but anyway, this is entitled How to Fight Creatures of the Underworld. So it says, Before embarking on your adventure, you must determine your own strengths and weaknesses. You have in your possession a sword and shield, together with a rucksack containing pre- provisions, food and drink for the trip. You have been preparing for your quest by training yourself in swordplay and exercising vigorously to build up your stamina. So to see how effective your preparations have been, you must use the dice to determine your initial skill and stamina scores. On pages 18 and 19, there's an adventure sheet, which you may use to record the details of your adventure. On it, you will find boxes for recording your skill and stamina scores. Now, interestingly enough, this is not something that we did. I did not have this sort of character sheet uh, for our players last night. Quest system may use a sort of rudimentary kind of uh, character sheet, but maybe it would be a good idea to have something like this uh, because it is nice to be able to write stuff down at times, you know, because you gain items and all that. You're advised to either record your scores on the adventure sheet in pencil or make photocopies to use for future adventures. So, skill, stamina, and luck. Roll one die. So, presumably, this is a six sided die. Add six to this number and enter this in the total skill box on the adventure sheet. Okay, and then roll both dice and add 12 to the number rolled uh, and enter this number in the stamina box. So it's a luck box. Roll one die and add six to this number, enter the skill in the luck box. Okay, Hmm. interesting. For reasons I'll explain below, skill, stamina, and luck scores change constantly during an adventure. You must keep an accurate record of these scores, and for this reason you are advised to either write small in the boxes or keep an eraser handy. Never rub out your initial scores, although you may be rewarded for additional skill, stamina, and luck points. These totals may never exceed your initial scores, except on very rare occasions when you'll be struck down on a particular page. Your skill score reflects your swordsmanship and general fighting expertise. The higher, the better. Your stamina score reflects your general constitution, your will to survive, your determination, overall fitness. higher your stamina score, the longer you will be able to survive. And your luck score indicates how naturally lucky a person you are. Luck and magic are facts of life in the fantasy kingdom you are about to explore. Hmm. Interesting. This is already kind of uh, more complicated than I uh, I made it. Not quite as. I mean, it's a stripped down version of D anD D essentially, where they have these different uh, different qualities and things like that, charisma and, and things like that. But uh, wisdom. What is it? What are they like? There's 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 wisdom and something else. I think charisma is another one. I don't know. My brother wouldn't remember. But here they use skill, stamina, and luck. Okay, well, you often, so this is battles. You often come across pages in the book which instruct you to fight a creature of some sort. An option to flee may be given, or, but if not, uh, you can choose to attack the creature anyway. You must resolve the battles described below. So first record this, the creature's skill and stamina scores on the first vacant monster encounter box on your adventure sheet. Oh, I see. Okay. The score for each creature is given in the book each time you have an encounter. Oh, interesting. So this is how they do it. Because there is no DM to essentially shield the uh, the number of hit points the creature has from you. They give it to you right off the bat. Okay, that makes sense. The sequence of comments, combat is then roll two dice once for the creature. Add its, uh, add its skill store. This is the total attack strength for the creature roll the two dice once for the creature so 12 add its strength its add its skill score so i guess that must must be yeah so it's it's actually what they do is actually they give you skill and stamina for each each creature that you encounter roll two dice for it once for yourself add the number rolled to your current skill score and this is your this is your attack strength if your attack strength is higher than that of the creature you have wounded it and proceed to step 4 At the number, this is your attack strength. Oh, interesting. So they presume that the attack happens is sort of off. I guess the the attack almost like happens just without you having to prompt it. If your attack strength is higher than that of the creature, you've wounded it. Okay. Step four, where you determine damage rate. Um, So if the creature's attack strength is higher than yours, it has wounded you. Step five. If you have both attack strength totals that are the same, You've avoided each other's blows, and then start the next attack round from step one above. If you've wounded the creature, you subtract two points from stamina, and you can use luck here to do additional damage. If the creature has wounded you, subtract two points from your own stamina score. Again, you may use luck at this stage. Make the appropriate adjustments to either the creatures or your own stamina scores, and your luck score if used. Uh, Begin the next round, uh, next attack round, And the sequence continues until the stamina score of either you or the creature you're fighting has been reduced to zero or death. Hmm. In some pages, you may be given the option of running away from a battle should things be going badly for you. However, if you do run away, the creature automatically gets um, in one wound on you, so you extract uh, two stamina points as you flee, such as the price of cowardice. Note that you may use luck on this wound in the normal way, see below. Uh, you may only use escape if that option is specifically given to you on the page. Interesting. So there's a penalty there for, uh, for running away from the battle. Fighting more than one creature. If you come across more than one creature in a particular encounter, the instructions on that page will tell you how to handle the battle. Sometimes you'll treat them as a single monster. Sometimes you'll fight each of them in turn. Now luck, they have as um, at various times during an adventure, either in battles or when you come across situations in which you could either be lucky or unlucky. Uh, details of these are given on the pages themselves. You may call on your luck to make the outcome more favorable, but beware, using luck is a risky business, and if you are unlucky, the results could be disastrous. The procedure for using luck is as follows. Roll two dice. If the number rolled is equal or less than your current luck score, you have been luck equal or less, okay? And the result could go in your favor. If the number rolled is higher than your current luck score, you've been unlucky and you will be penalized. This is a procedure called, known as testing your luck. Each time you test your luck, you must subtract one point from your current luck score. Thus, you'll so, you soon realize that the more you rely on your luck, the more risky this will become. Each time you test your luck, use, you, okay, I see. Using luck in battles. On certain pages of the book, you'll be told to test your luck and you be told the consequences of your being unlucky or lucky. However, in battles, you always have the option of using your luck either to inflict a more serious wound on a creature you've just wounded, or to minimize the effects of a wound, the creature has just inflicted on you. If you've just wounded the creature, you may test your luck as described above. If you're if you're lucky, you have uh, inflicted a severe wound, and may subtract an extra two points from the creature's stamina score. Or if you're unlucky, the wound was a mere graze, or you must restore one point to the creature's stamina. i.e., Instead of scoring a normal two points of damage, you now only score one. If the creature has just wounded, you may test your luck to try to minimize the wound, If you're you're lucky, you have managed to avoid the full damage of the blow. Restore one point of stamina, i.e. instead of doing two points of damage, you've only done one. If you're unlucky, you you may have taken a more serious blow. Subtract an extra stamina point. Remember, you must subtract one point from your own luck score each time you test your luck. So it says your skill will not change much during your adventure. Occasionally a page will give you instructions to increase or decrease your skill score. A magic weapon may increase your skill but remember that only one weapon can be used at a time you cannot claim two skill bonuses for carrying two magic swords your skill score can never exceed its initial value unless uh, specifically instructed drinking the potion of skill will restore your skill to its initial level at any time now the interest they they have an interesting thing with stamina your stamina score will change a lot during adventures as you fight monsters and undertake arduous tasks As you near your goal, your stamina level may be dangerously low and battles may be particularly risky, so be careful. Your haversack contains enough provisions for 10 meals. You may rest and eat only when allowed by the instructions of a page. You may eat only one meal at a time. Eating a meal restores four stamina points. When you eat a meal, add four points to your stamina score and deduct one point from your provisions. A separate provisions remaining box is provided on the adventure sheet for recording details of the provisions. Remember, you have a long way to go, so use your provisions wisely. Remember also that your stamina score may never exceed its initial value unless specifically instructed on a page. Drinking the Potion of Strength will restore your stamina to its initial level at any time. Um, and then luck. Additions to your luck score are awarded through the adventure. When you've being particularly lucky? Okay. So interesting how, how they do it. I like the idea of stamina, because uh, particularly so the only um, the only metrics I think that we've been using so far with our little D and D adventure are hit points. Every character starts off with ten, and then amount of damage that's dealt in combat, uh, and then and then you know we've been rolling dice in the same way for other things. You know if when you're testing something like I don't know trying to pick a lock or something like that, or trying to investigate something. Um, but i do like the idea of stamina as a way of if you're really tired you may not be able to do certain things which is very true of uh, combat in general Um, if something goes on for a long time and by a long time you know uh, you know typically um, most uh, martial arts kind of matches uh, tend to be um, in minutes you know so one minute two minutes three minutes for example, the, uh, the Olympic World Taekwondo Federation, um, at least when I was competing with three minutes per round, uh, you fought two rounds, uh, some other ones, um, different types, uh, use two minute rounds, you know, so th- there's, there's different things and, and boxing rounds. I think are, I want to say they are three minutes, usually kickboxing, traditional 80s style or full contact karate. I think used to be two minutes, maybe it was three. I, I can't, I, I can't keep track of, uh, I can't recall quite exactly, but, um, you know, it doesn't sound like a long period of time. But, I mean, um, you're moving continuously through that time and you're expending yourself. And so you get tired. It would be interesting to try to include something that goes, that puts stamina at, uh, it, it folds that into it. And I, I think it, you could probably actually do it with hit points. Um, you know, you start at 10 hit points. Uh, if you if you take damage, it's going to be, I mean, maybe the it would be a little bit more crude way of doing it. I don't know, I have to think about this, but, you know, if you are, if you, the lower your number of hit points as you've taken more damage, your, uh, your stamina will be less, and it'll be, it's going to be harder to, to do things, and so I wonder how you could factor that in in some way, without making it too uh, complex. Maybe it could just be narrative. I think with a descriptive kind of game, it just could be a, an additional thing to kind of keep track of or or kind of make the story uh, a little bit more nuanced but it would be kind of interesting I'm thinking about as I'm doing this which metrics to include and which not to I sort of want to just include the ones that are not necessarily the bare minimum but the ones that are going to make the experience kind of the most interesting so I think there probably have to be some maybe more than what I have right now that's uh, stamina is an interesting one there and interestingly they use a they use so essentially a 12-sided die or or two six-sided, you know, cube-sized die um and um, the, I think the, a lot of these game books use those because they're the most accessible and most people have them. Uh we were talking last night about whether we should continue to use um a 20-sided die. Now you don't have to have a physical die actually. Uh there are we're using the platform Discord, which is built in the Patreon, or you can connect the two, and that is a dice roller in there for whatever size die you want. Uh, and the same thing with Google, uh, you can find there's these tons of these dice rolling programs out there. You can use whatever sided kind of die you want. I was using twenty just because it seems to give you the most. Um, I mean, that's sort of what they do in D and D is a twenty sided die. But I don't know. Is that the best one? I'm um, I'm not really sure. You know, it might be able to make do with eight or uh, something like that. Something to think about. Uh, as I read more of these things, I'm I'm just kind of curious to see how they structure their mechanics, you know. Especially like these, you know, when they, when they do it. You know, what they are just flipping through. For example, I just opened it to a random page and here's what it is. The passage ahead ends at a sturdy door. You listen, but hear nothing. You try the handle, it turns, you enter the room. As you look around, you see a loud cry from behind you and swing around to see a wild man leaping toward you, wielding a large battle axe. He is a mad barbarian, and you must fight him. He has a skill of 7, stamina 6. There's a door in the north wall opposite through which you may escape during the battle, which you turn to 189. If you defeat the barbarian, turn to 273. Okay, so what you would do, for example, in this case... Okay, so I I found uh, two d6s, you know, the the standard kind of six-sided die. And just so we can try this, so I rolled a... A 7 for skill, and the stamina was 20. So this particular guy, the barbarian, his skill is 7, stamina is 6. So you basically you roll two dice once for the creature and add it to the skill score. So I rolled um, an 11, so that would be an 18. right? So that's the attack strength that he has. So then you roll the two dice once for yourself. Okay, so... And then you add that to your current skill score. Now my current skill score is 7. So I rolled a 7. And so that is a total of 14. So in this case, because my number 14 is less than his 18, he wounds me. So I guess that's how they do the combat. There isn't a lot of detail about the kind of attacks and stuff like that. It's just that swing, connect or not. So... But that, but it's it's it works. I think for a self-contained book like this, I I'll uh, keep kind of thinking about it how I want to tweak the current system we have. So if you're on the Patreon, you'll see. Um, and there may be some other things that filter into this uh, as as I continue to work this out. I'll probably filter into this podcast. I guess informally, what we're sort of doing is as uh, my brother pointed out last night, it was sort of creating a 13th hour role playing game, which is. An interesting thing to think about it. I was meant to create a video game or a game, I guess, of the whole thing. I never really thought it would be a role playing game because I didn't know what those were at the time, really. But um, I guess it's sort of the same. It's it's kind of the same in a way. I mean, it's interesting to think about. Anyway, more on that later. Let's get back to this next chapter of Lee J. Handel's Dragonfall. We're in chapter six. Gabe's beloved uh, shift finally came to its end at five. Sam, habitually dilatory, showed up ten minutes later. Gabe tore down to the bicycle shop three stories over, or three stores over. Picked up two new 10-speed tires and vaulted onto the already moving bus. He instructed the driver to put both feet on it. He reached the Qdo Mall 15 minutes later and hustled his buns up and over to Soaring Records, where Kate was just being relieved from her shift. Perfect timing, perfect girl. All the way over to the bus, Gabe had silently called himself every possible obscene term known to man. He was about to sup with the girl of his lifetime. We're talking a lifetime here. Anything else has got to be a letdown, and he was wearing Conan the Barbarian across his chest. <laughs> Brilliant. You just don't do that. But his apprehension swiftly decreased when he saw Kate. Her coal black hair was pulled down on a tight braid, thin strands curling down each temple. She had dog tags around her throat and was wearing a baggy uh, Angora sweater, a turquoise miniskirt, and a pair of Adidas no socks. She had the cinnamon legs of a ballerina, Later, she would tell him she was taking classes. She had already picked out a place for them to dine. It was in a mall, and uh, or the mall, I guess, because they are... The Q-Dome is, I guess, a, yeah, the Q-Dome is a mall. Since it was Saturday night, everything stayed open until nine. She let him in and out of her personal shortcuts to the restaurant. It was at the very end of the building. A tiny place tucked away at the back of a short cul-de-sac. It served up health food meals with an Italian twist. They sat down at a uh, round enamel driftwood table in the far corner. Uh, Hidden stereo speakers seeped Spandau Ballet. Kate ate there all the time, so she ordered for the both of them. Gabe ate everything on his plates and tasted nothing. (laughs) Their conversation was uh, gloriously aimless. Parents, jobs, Dune, gremlins, the Pumpkin X concert, New Wave, Sting, Piazzadora, kids at the school, cocaine, cops for Catholic Church, drawings on Gabe's feet which he displayed for her on the table. Gabe told her about the time that he and his family went uh, on a two-week fishing trip to Alaska and how he was chased down the bank of the river in bare feet by a brown bear. Kate told him about the time she and a girlfriend went on a two-week sightseeing trip in Barbados and how they were chased down the streets of Bridgetown at night in high heels by a pimp. <laughs> During the end of, a des- of dessert, the conversation rolled around to the inevitable subject. Dragons? Dragons. You really think so? I really think so. Seeing uh, she was genuinely interested, Gabe told her how he had first fallen for the old story of, Hey, looky, looky, you too can make big bucks at home. And there was no stopping him. It all gushed out, and Kate listened, quietly chewing on a slice of seed bread. He told her about the long line of creatures, weird and wonderful, he had created before the Dragons 3. He told her how, since acquiring the ability to turn pages, He kept a personal collection of the big lizards, along with vampires, werewolves, the Pegasus, the Thing, Bilbo Baggins, and Thumper. (laughs) Thumper. One of these things is not like the other. In a section passage in the back of his mind. Told her how four and a half determined months ago, he had chosen three of his dragons and brought them out of that pasture and solidified them. He told her how long, 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 long ago in the craggy Celtic islands, A gaunt, bearded poet would graphically embroider tales of horror and mystery around a crackling campfire. Tightly wrapped, or wrapping their bare arms around their knees, pressing them against their chests, tribesmen would listen bug-eyed to these fearsome black narratives of 100-foot monsters diving out of the thundering skies and flambéing entire villages. And since then, the idea of their, their existence had made its way through the centuries up until today via tongue, papyrus, and celluloid. He told her about the hours spent at his drafting table and then the weeks in actual construction making certain that his quote-unquote boys would be completely different from the killer breath monstrosities that had fueled those flickering campfire fables so many years ago. He had designed his dragons standing up rather than down on all fours because he wanted them to be characters for the kids to make pals with and call their own rather than heinous brooding beasts to scare the water right out of them in the middle of the night. That was something Gabe's boss, Malcolm Conant, had agreed with wholeheartedly. Then he told Kate about Betty Valerie and how she had changed everything, how Gabe had bowed to her terms, and now the Dragons 3 were what they were. Why did Kate said the whole thing was just simply utterly unbelievably awesome, or something to that effect? And Gabe thought she was just interested in his his, his lean tan body, or something to that effect. <laughs> The steel-blue Z28 lovingly embraced the street as it swung around in a neat U-turn and brake parallel to the sidewalk in front of the Holden house. The street was dark and tucked in for the night. At 20 after 9, the tiny restaurant had been closing, and Kate had insisted she drive Gabe home. There had been no arm-twisting involved whatsoever. She had her older brother's car and handled the purring beast like a pro. She tossed it into park and turned to Gabe, laying her right arm across the back of the seat. Gabe had planned on putting his arm there, but just wasn't swift enough. He could have smoothly laid one arm on top of hers, but decided against it, leaving his hands folded like a napkin in his lap. <laughs> he felt incredibly awkward. In truth, he couldn't help feeling how much he was playing the the girl's role, and Kate was playing the guy's. Roxy music trickled in the front from the back seat speakers. I have I had a wonder, wonderful, wonderful time. Kate smiled. Wonderful place, Gabe said, gesturing toward her. Hey, what's a wonderful wonderful place without some wonderful company, she said. Wonderful, wonderful. They had run plum out of wonderfuls, and now it was all up to Gabe to think of something original to say to finish off the evening nicely. Gabe didn't feel uh, extremely original at that moment, so without much extra thought, he came up with, You want to come in for a night? (laughs) Does anybody say that? Who says that? I guess Gabe says that. Oh, now that was original. What's next Gabe? next, Gabe? Hey, babe, come on up to my bedroom and I'll show you my etchings of Maurice the Hoffman Pfeffer. I never figured out how to pronounce that. That ought to cinch it. Gabe wished the words could just crawl back down his throat, but it was too late. A distinct idiot, moron, jerk, scusoid feeling just went through me, Gabe said, shaking his head. Gabe cra- Kate cracked up and Gabe managed to laugh along with her. No, I got to get home and get back to my coffin, she said, truly sorry. I haven't been getting to sleep until after midnight all this week, and I got to get some heavy duty disease, you know? Anyway, I got to get the car back to Nigel. I think he had somewhere to go tonight. No, Gabe said from out of nowhere. Kate's eyebrows jumped. She couldn't tell if Gabe was serious. You're in for it now, guy. Come, come with me to the far lands of Baghdad, Gabe uh, (laughs) Gabe said, putting on that accent that was required, fastening his tongue to the roof of his mouth. He did um." He didn't quite know why why he would said that line, but he does really hope she would laugh any evening off on a good note. She didn't laugh, but did something else, totally unexpected. She went along with it. She leaned forward and took his hands in hers, gave and inhaled the perfume of her hair. She gazed deeply into his face with those punishing chocolate eyes of hers. Oh, if only I could, she said. Her voice was filled with just the right amount of despair. That's what I want more than anything in the world, but it could never be. Obviously, the girl had seen the same golden oldie once. Of course it can, Gabe said earnestly. But my father would find us wherever we we went. He has forbidden me to even speak to you. If he finds me now, I don't know what he'd do. She breathed fearfully. But he doesn't know what I am, that I am a prince before I was the thief of (laughs) Baghdad. It doesn't matter, she said dejected. Gabe held her hands tighter in the true dramatic fashion. Come, come with me, he urged. Come with me right now to the ends of the earth whereupon she took Gabe's face in her hands and pressed her open strawberry mouth to his. Ah, bliss. (laughs) Uh. 35 minutes later, Gabe uh, unlocked the front door and came in with his 10-speed. The big house was filled with icy darkness. He turned the bike over on its back and dropped the chain, along with the brand-new tires he had picked up at the bike shop. He took off his khaki jacket and put on his bulky kangaroo jacket from the foyer closet. He went over to the family room and switched on the radio and the stereo system, a classical station. In the kitchen, he made a double-decker roast beef sandwich. Didn't he just eat? A double-decker roast beef sandwich beside the sink. He went back into the living room, mouth stuffed with sandwich, a roll of newspapers under his arm. He slipped the papers under the bicycle and changed the tires, oiled the chain, and cleaned all the joints and hidden angles of the frame. Finished, he pushed himself up, walked over to the back door, and slid it open. He felt the night breeze in his face, or in his eyes, rather. He stepped out onto the veranda and plopped down on one of the frayed lawn chairs. Gabe smiled openly, thinking about Kate. they had made a plan to meet again tomorrow. She had another eating place in mind. This time it was of a Chinese persuasion, her treat. Afterwards, they would catch a Sunday midnight showing of the Road Warrior at Palace 33. Uh, pushing his hair back, he looked at Tyler's waiting pool, The water surface covered with floating dead coffee-colored leaves, a Hershey bar wrapper, and a potato chip bag. He decided he'd clean it out for tomorrow, for sure. And then they were there, the sparrows. Gabe laughed loudly, stopped, and laughed again, but not so loudly this time. Yo, guys, want to come in for a beer? Nobody's home and we can get really plowed. What do you say? Oh, that's right. His family's away. Not much. They just sat there and stared, clustered on the fence top at the end of the yard. They didn't change places, peck at each other, or take off. Just like all week, they just stared. Weird. Once more, the head head whispers returned, but this time they had been slightly clarified. This time, he could almost feel it in the air. A subtle aura, a pale sensation of imminence, something coming up soon, something of a cryptic nature. Groaning out loud, he put his arms between his head he was getting very tired of these morbid musings of his he wondered if normal people ever had these thoughts he wondered where this menacing thinking originated he wondered what these bedeviled notions signified he wondered if he were okay he stared back stupidly at the group of dark sparrows for a while longer than went inside sliding the door shut with a whack he would never see those little birds ever again it sounds ominous Gabe flicked off the switches of the stereo speaker in the kitchen in the family room and went back to the kitchen he had downed the roast beef sandwich, but his hunger was still not satisfied, or satiated, rather. He went on a snack hunt. Humming down, he inspected the pantry up and down. A folded bag of Peak Freen's chocolate digestive cookies caught his fancy, along with an, a, a net sack of a, uh, a few walnuts huddled together in the bottom. He tossed them onto the counter. He found the nutcracker with one hand and took Dad's monogram beer mug down from the cover with the other. He whipped open the refrigerator door, lifted a sloshing carton of milk, and filled Dad's, Dad's mug to the rim then snatched a couple of oranges. With a low cradle in his arms, Gabe shuffled into the living room. He seated himself in a deep, soft chair, put the mug of milk and his feet on the coffee table, and giving an unending yawn, he reached for the remote control and turned on the TV. The screen flickered and quick, uh, quickly lit up with images. He increased the volume. Kiss me, Wilfred. Don't do it, Willie, Gabe said. Click. Y'all can clap now. I'm finished. Click. Us, this most this much sleep a person such as yourself would become delirious click and we'll be right uh, back with even more of slim whitman's three-hour thanksgiving specials in san gag click coming to you at this hour of the day to share with you step by step how to convert a wheelchair into a doomba click inhale deeply now mrs nobo we're about to externalize your innermost thoughts click believe it you will be ordained in a mere nine weeks just send click through once more to the sounds of Carlos Br- 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 Skippo, renowned master of the Jews' harp and power saw, click, Kiss me again, Wilfred. Nearing an hour later, Gabe was still at it. He was tired, but not enough to go to sleep. He had changed back to Channel 6 and found Coma was on for the umpteenth time. His left leg was hanging over the arm of the chair, and he was spinning the rear wheel on his 10-speed with the toe of his Nike runner. He looked around. The mug was almost empty, the cookie bag was crumpled into a little ball, and the orange rides were nothing to protect anymore. The walnut sack was stuffed down the inside of the chair. He pulled it out and shook it, looking for a lone survivor, and discovered one intact walnut among the shucks. He wedged it between the teeth of the nutcracker and began the kill. Gabe increased the compression ever so slightly, but the nut showed no signs of breaking. He reached out for the mug and took a drink of milk. Gabe tightened his grip around the nutcracker. It reminded him of the hand of a hand exercise tool some executive might use, sitting behind his desk or her desk. Maybe Valerie uses one. Yeah, that would be just like her. He could see it—her crooked, bloodless, skeletal hand crushing, crushing. Gabe's hand began to show tension, straining, but the nut wasn't breaking. The light from the television danced on his face, making his moist eyes twinkle. His fingers were uh, rigidly clutched now, squeezing. Down on the walnut between the jaws of the nutcracker, squeezing, squeezing, just squeezing, like squeezing, her, s- squee-cratch, crushed, the walnut flew apart in big pieces. Then the heavy hand grabbed his shoulder from behind and Gabe's world flew apart in big pieces. He jackknifed headfirst over the coffee table and whirled. He was instantly ready for, ready for, not this, not this. Hello, Daddy. It's time to play. Oh, dang. Okay. Well, that is where the chapter ends. There is a chapter seven left, and that's it. There's one more chapter left, and that's where we will uh, that's where we'll finish that up probably next, next time. So thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more of those updates, as I mentioned, coming in the next couple of weeks. You know, stay, stay creating. Stay safe. I'll talk to you guys in the future. Hey, a few last things. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find many more like it on the show's website, 13thhr.wordpress.com, as well as on numerous other podcasting platforms like iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. There's often additional material on various places on social media as well, like on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find links to all these platforms in the show notes for this episode. Sometimes people will ask me, how can they help contribute to the show or other things that I do? And you can, of course, uh, leave a tip over at coffee.com, which is ko fi.com slash 13thhr, which is basically like a virtual tip jar. You can see a link to that in the show notes. But there's a lot of stuff that you can do just that's just for free and stuff that you may be already doing anyway. And so if you have ideas or suggestions, you know, email me. My email address is w-r-i-t-e-j-o-s-h-u-a-b-l-u-m at gmail.com. Also, don't forget, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you currently prefer and share it with your friends, leave a review, uh, listen to music on Bandcamp, Spotify. You know, I hope by conveying some of the creative process on this show, You'll also be inspired to do creative things and follow your own dreams and do whatever it is that brings meaning to your own life. The world really is what you make of it, and at the end of the day, that's what the 13th Hour is about. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.